0: Digital Dust is a history podcast it's about the stuff you
1: learned
2: in school with a perspective you might not have considered. Welcome back to Digital Dust. My name is Robin. I'm Katie. I'm Liz.
1: And I am uh, Patrick.
2: And we are welcoming with us today.
1: <laughs> this is where you say your name.
2: <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh, I'm
3: Kestra. <laughs> Hi,
4: Kestra.
1: Welcome back, Kestra. Welcome back.
3: In my defense, Patrick absolutely annihilated me with a silly voice 30 seconds before I had to talk.
1: I'm so sorry. So last time you were here with us, you, you, you took us through a whole swath of history, all the way back to ancient Greece, all the way up to the, the 20th century, the mid, mid-20th mid century, 1950s, 60s. And uh, and now you're back again to close us out with, uh, with what? What are we talking about today?
3: I'm going to talk about the AIDS epidemic, mostly, because... I did some research on it, and it made me very, very angry, and I need to share that anger with the world. Hey guys, just a heads up before we head into the episode, we're going to be getting into some pretty heavy topics this week, including institutional homophobia, AIDS, and discussions of terminal illness. Listener discretion is advised.
1: We are ready.
3: We're the outlet for that. Yeah, you guys have been the outlet for a lot of things over a lot of a lot of classes. <laughs> <laughs> Including my theory that Ben Franklin was a vampire.
4: That was a good was. class. That was a good yes. good times.
3: No, it was Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was a vampire.
4: He's actually a wax figure that <laughs> came to life every night in a museum.
3: Oh, oh Robert
4: Williams, yes. but I
2: think I know yes. that movie.
3: That's a good movie.
0: <laughs>
2: that movie <laughs> slaps. <laughs> that movie
4: slaps movie. so hard. I want to rewatch many, that movie. How many how many historians <laughs> listening out there right now love Night at the Museum?
1: Honestly,
0: you All
4: have to them. All, All
0: of
1: them.
3: Yeah. Them. <laughs> it's a requirement. people actually. driving just raised their hand to the sky and killed five people.
0: Sorry, can yeah. you not drive with one hand? <laughs> Girly.
3: One hand on the Tim's, the other on the wheel. Oh, We're yeah. Canadians. The Canadian way. <laughs>
4: on the French vanilla, or I guess this time of year it's the ice cap season, eh? It is. Oh, oh yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> the ice it's about that time of year. <laughs>
0: you
3: know, <laughs> it's always ice coffee season for the homosexuals. Oh, that's
1: right. <laughs> All right. right. <laughs> so with that oh, delightful God. transition.
3: <laughs> well, since you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> oh God, um, the tone's gonna get whack. Gonna tell you now yeah um so anyway if you didn't listen to the first episode a what are you doing b go listen to it it's fantastic um because i was the only person who wasn't in ontario i wasn't even on the mainland for the majority of the covid epidemic i was hoping you guys could tell me what it was like to live in ontario in like the center of covid in the early on
4: terrible oh
1: that's a good one
4: that is a good one
1: yeah (laughs) i mean shitty i feel like is the first one that comes to mind yeah feel like you want something more specific than that
0: like, I like mean, at the very early. beginning it was really scary right yeah, like it was in sc- march it like and april yeah mm-hmm. march 13th
2: i was just finishing up my last year i guess everyone was but yeah. i was in ottawa when it first mm. came around
0: yeah. yeah i was in toronto
2: that was yeah. where it started so that's yeah. probably bigger
1: yeah, it was, I, I was on campus, actually, I was on, like, western's campus when, when we found out about it, um, getting books. I literally, like, this is how much of a nerd I am. I was like, okay, school's most likely shutting down the next day, so, like, for my final essays, I got as many books as I could from the library. For so me I too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have 13 books. I still have 13 books from U of yeah. T's library. Oh, my God. I was God. like... Right? I I can't give them back. Yeah. And they they keep haven't asked for me. it. No, they have Oh, haven't. But I'm like I can't get into the city. He- he.
2: They um <laughs> yeah my school I had I had ten books as well but they emailed them for them back and I, I had to ship them and they wouldn't See, pay they for it. Ship
0: them. Oh they wouldn't I pay. Like, I would god. simply riot. Because like
2: I I'm not gonna drive back to Ottawa from yeah, no. where I am. That's like a six hour drive. Oh my, oh my, gosh. my god. Yeah. But I also I everything changed for me too. Like I was half working half doing school at the time mm. and I was working at the. Canadian Museum of Nature, and they're saying, Yeah, we're gonna stay open. Uh, we're only closing with all the other national museums. And then, literally the next day, this was a huge staff meeting, by the way. Literally the next day, they yeah. email us, like, Don't come in. Don't yeah, show yeah. your face here. <laughs> like,
4: yeah. I was also, when we got the news about museums and stuff shutting down, I was working at Banting House and I was like doing a research project for them. And what we do is, Grant, the curator, has his office, and then like the volunteer office is literally just another office around the corner. And so we'll just kind of like yell at each other back and forth talking about whatever and so we literally at the same time like got like the tweet alert or whatever and we were like all right it's all over (laughs) no no we were both like it's it's okay it'll all be okay it'll fizzle out soon blah 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 and they were like museums are closed and I was like oh okay so yeah it was it was really crazy and it's crazy thinking back we didn't even think when all that was happening, to like we weren't wearing masks, we were, like, yeah, right but we like didn't really know what we were doing. And it's just so crazy looking back now. It's like it's just so
0: different. Yeah, yeah. actually yeah. thinking about that, I lived on residence oh. um, last year, and we so the school shut down here in Ontario on the thirteenth, or at least you have teed it following Harvard's yep. example. lmao we follow Harvard for everything. Um, <laughs> the Canadian <Yeah>. Harvard. <laughs> oh no, God. Um, and but I didn't move out for a week, because they were like, no, you can stay on blah blah blah. And for that week, we lived in like a bubble where COVID basically didn't exist, because you know we were just like living our lives, doing our thing, not thinking about it at all, because we didn't have to go anywhere. And also, U of T didn't put classes online. They were like, I don't know, do your own thing. Everyone thought like, it
4: would be over <laughs> in two weeks. They were like, yeah, just like, stay yeah, on for like two weeks, and it's over.
0: Yeah, fifteen months later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yikes. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. So, so like overall, it was just like a big switch right away. It was kind of like we we're living our lives, and then there was this sort of interim period where we were like, "It'll be done soon," so we just have to like hang out at home for a bit. And then a week later, it was very much not. <laughs> we just kind of we kind of mm-hmm. stayed home ever since.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're on what week eighty of the two week lockdown. Oh fine, fine, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. Was it going to be a two-week lockdown? I can't even remember. I, I was told two-week lockdown because I went to class on Friday the 13th. and I Same! Was like, and uh, it was like this tiny little seminar. You know how upper-year history classes are like four yes. people and you all like know everything about each other? Yes. And it was literally all we could talk about. And the professor's husband came in and was like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And I'm like, what do you think, James? <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out to Dr. Moran if you're listening to this. I miss you very much. Aww. But yeah, and then I went to work after school and um, I was t- talking to my coworker and I was like, oh yeah, next two weeks are going to be like, a book wow. And he's like, Kester, what are you talking about? It's going to be the next two years. And um, I want to know what oracle Kevin the security guard was like consulting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Because> Kevin knows. He <laughs> <I> just <laughs> knows. <laughs>
4: well, I mean, it if he's smart, uncanny. he was consulting history. There's
0: yeah, and also science.
4: Us. And science.
0: Science too. knew history pandemics were coming. Like, science yeah. king Hank Green was, like, the thing I'm scared about for the 2020s is a pandemic. Because he knew. King. I love that
4: man. If you look at, like, the the 19, the 19 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, like, the same shit was happening where they were, like, you gotta wear masks. And then people were protesting with, you know, all these other things being, like, it takes away my freedom. I don't want to wear a mask. Blah, 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 blah. But anyway, yeah, it's just so crazy. In 100 years, we haven't really evolved that much. We have vaccines, which is great, but... Yeah, all right.
1: Does that answer your question, (laughs) Kestra?
3: It does. Um, Would Would you guys say that within like twelve hours of COVID being real in Canada, you a knew how to avoid getting it pretty well, and B knew that uh, for the people listening, they're shaking their heads. Um, (laughs) This is an audio (laughs) format. Like when COVID started, did you? think the government was doing something to prevent you from getting it even if Uh it was just telling you to stay home
4: yeah justin trudeau was coming out of his house every day just to talk to me on youtube
3: but to answer your question kestra
0: to keep us on track no because i remember there was a whole debate about masks right at the beginning for a couple reasons Mm -hmm. one people didn't want to take masks away from medical staff who need them two people were concerned that if you were wearing a mask you wouldn't be as cautious and when you take it off you'd get it in your mouth and three, people couldn't figure out if it was airborne or droplet. And I've heard back to back, like, for, like, months, back and forth, like, oh, no, it's airborne. Oh, no, it's droplet. Your dog could get it. Or
2: yeah,
3: not. I remember so, being like, oh, my yeah. dog,
2: my dog's so old. It's changed, like, it, it was crazy how quickly the information changed back and forth. And even, like, at the time, I was working around scientists, too, and, like, every day we were hearing something different. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, couldn't believe it. Yeah.
3: And uh, that sense of like frustration and fear of not knowing how you catch COVID, how to avoid catching it, that was very, very present at least for me. Like Mm I, like we didn't know what was going on. We Mm -hmm. were told to stay home because that was the only safe place. And then some people were essential, some people were not. But but within like six months of the pandemic starting in Canada, um, there was like mask mandates in Mm -hmm. every major province. Uh, PEI didn't get our mask mandate till last November so like we also just got our 200th case last month ever (laughs)
0: ever oh my god
3: for reference we had like 1200
0: cases today in Ontario we have a way bigger population way yeah
3: yeah no um the biggest (laughs) but yeah like within six months of the pandemic starting everyone knew how to avoid getting COVID even if they were upset about it Mm. and everyone knew it was like airborne um and the symptoms of it and That was absolutely not the case for AIDS.
4: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
3: So,
4: I will uh, say, going into it, the one thing that I didn't even really think about, because like when the pandemic first started, I was like, I don't want to get it. But like, if I get it, it's not that big of a deal. But then it started with the serious long term Mm -hmm. health consequences of like you can have scarring in your lungs. And so I was thinking about that as you were talking. I was like, oh, that's really interesting because AIDS was kind of the same way. Like, I cannot relate my experience to. What people with AIDS or anything else have probably experienced, but that I, I it is interesting with this specific pandemic. Like I don't really think we had that with like swine flu or anything like that, where you were like, this could damage my body forever, and like I that's why I need to be careful, because um, otherwise, like I I could die or I could have actual serious long term health consequences. So yeah,
3: yeah, and it was to draw parallels between the COVID epidemic, which we are all, I would say, intimately familiar with. And um, the AIDS epidemic of the 80s, which inhabits like this weird time-space thing where it's so recent that everyone over the age of like 50 thinks you already know about it because it happened during their lifetime, but it happened before we were ever born. We have no first-hand experience with it, but it's so recent it's not in history books yet. So, AIDS inhabits this weird time-space thing where young people don't know about it because before we were born, but our parents all were like, yeah, this is the thing that happens. When we have kids, we're going to have to explain COVID to them because, like, it's going to ruin our lives and they'll have no idea why we're like this.
0: I mean, I might be encroaching on your space, Katra, so just tell me if I am. But that is one of the reasons that we don't hear about AIDS a lot is because there aren't as many survivors. Because by and large, everyone died. And so there's no one to carry those stories.
3: A whole generation of mainly gay men died. You know how after World War I it was like the lost generation because people came out of it and they had seen their friends die, they were horrifically wounded, and they like came back to the real world and they're like I've been surrounded by death for the last four years. That was AIDS, but like no one acknowledged it was a war for far too long. So, the first case of AIDS was spotted in the U.S. in 1980, um, and Patient Zero officially is a man named Ken Horn from San Francisco. Um, He was uh, a gay man uh, living in the San Francisco Castro Street district, and um, I was reading about gay life before AIDS, and it sounds honestly incredible. Like, I was reading a book, uh, The Band Played On, please read it, it's incredible. And they were describing the Pride Parade before AIDS and it was like this enormous carnival and like there was full-on rides at Pride and like it was just a celebration. Reading that was like, hey, what is this? My limited experience of Pride Parades, I've been to one. It's been kind of a down key kind of thing and just reading about this like insane carnival sounds incredible. So anyway, um, Ken Horn has AIDS and um, no one knows what it is yet because we don't know that AIDS is a disease. Ken Horn, um goes to his doctor because he's got these weird purple spots on his body. And it turns out it's an incredibly rare form of cancer that mainly affects Italian men in their 60s and older, called Kaposi's sarcoma. The doctor's like, hey, this is weird that you have this random disease, but I'll give you like the topical treatment for it. And it's a relatively benign form of skin cancer, so you'll be fine. And then um, it turns out he had a, a lung infection that doesn't show up in healthy adults. And the doctor's like, wait, why do you have this? And then it turns out he had like a weird form of pneumonia that only shows up in very unhealthy immunocompromised people. And his doctor's like, wait, you're a healthy man in your 30s. There is no way you should have this many diseases that only affect uh, terminal cancer patients, basically. And so doctor wrote, wrote it down as like this weird medical marvel. If you ever go to the doctor's office and the doctor looks at you for five minutes and then yells for his buddy to come here and look at it, you know you're fucked. <laughs> That's my worst nightmare, by the way. to Just have the doctor call his colleagues in and be like, get a load of this.
0: I mean, they probably <laughs> wouldn't call them in while you were still in the room. They'd walk uh, out and be like, get a load dentist, of this.
2: The dentist kind of does that when you have a cavity. Like they, he brings a nurse over and he says, like, code.
0: Yeah. It's all numbers. The and you're like,
2: I'm like, uh, just say normal <laughs> English. I want to know. I want to know what you're thinking. Then he walks away, and it's the nurse that's like, "Okay, well, you have cavities." <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I> just, no. <laughs> you're like,
1: you have, "No." You may need to sit down. For, oh, you already sit. Okay, well.
2: Okay, <laughs> great.
3: <laughs> you Let me um, cav- empty your wallet. You have cavities. So anyway, the doctor's like, "Hey, you're a healthy man. Why do you have all these things?" And uh, Ken was like, "I have no idea." And is it a weird like STI and the duck is like I don't know and Ken's like I don't know anyway uh, Ken got sent home with like a couple of antibiotics and that's the he'll pop up later it's a deeply tragic story we're talking about AIDS and then throughout the 80s like a couple of other people like start popping off in uh gay communities with uh this weird cluster of symptoms uh Kaposi's sarcoma the skin cancer also um the form of pneumonia that doesn't affect healthy adults and um it's like Five people in 1980 who, who are showing this cluster of symptoms, and then that's 1980 closing it. And they're all, um, they all live like incredibly fast, hard lives. Like uh, they're up till 2 a.m. doing drugs at a disco. They're having sex with lots of partners. This it's, isn't shaming the them or anything, yeah. but like <laughs> it's, it's that the everyone 80s. Everyone was on coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no judge. It was, it was the 80s. Like everyone was having a lot of unprotected sex. And don't think about that too hard. So, uh, and then, uh, 1981 happens, uh, doctors are starting to notice that they're getting a lot of requisition forms for, like, this weird specific antibiotic, and, uh, it's because there's, like, clusters in, like, San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles of, um, men with all these weird symptoms that don't show up in healthy adults, and, like, people are starting to talk because the gay community has, has always been, like, fairly, um, connected to each other, so men are starting to talk and be like, hey, I've got, also got these weird purple lesions, and so they're starting to compare notes, so, um, the first alarm bells of a new form of STI raging through the gay community comes from the gay community itself, rather than from like doctors, because um, they're not connecting the dots quite yet. On July 3rd, uh, 1981, the New York Times ran an article that said a rare form of cancer found in 41 gay men. It was talking about the skin cancer in New York City and San Francisco. It was just like this weird medical oddity. No one had really like died yet. By the end of the year, uh, 337 people had been diagnosed with the disease that they didn't know was like one single disease yet. They thought it was like a cluster of diseases and 130 have died of it. But they hadn't really like pinpointed that it was the disease yet. These people are getting like weird skin cancers and lung infections that they don't get. And then they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Eventually something takes you out. That's how AIDS works. It's um, you, you get the little infections and it just picks away at your immune system. And then eventually you get something they can't fight off. Because, like, we're exposed to billions of microbes every day, and we, normally we just pluck them off, but fungal the sound
0: that your white blood cells make as they kill the infection.
3: But,
4: yeah, isn't it a lot of the time it is pneumonia or, like, more serious respiratory infections, things like that, that that people with AIDS succumb to?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. normally some form of pneumonia. In 1981, they think an STI is spreading through the gay community. Um, they have no idea how it's spread rather than, like, through unprotected sex. They don't know it can be spread intravenously um, through blood contact. And um, they don't know if it can or cannot be spread through, con- like, just physical touching. So, like, they don't know anything about the disease. It's been raging for two years. It's killed 130 people, and they still don't know how you catch it. Compare that with COVID, where we had a lot of debate for, like, eight months before we settled on droplets. Like, yeah. yeah. already the timelines are not... Quite matching up. In 1982 the gay men's health crisis group is formed in New York City um, to try and figure out what's going on and to try and raise money for this. Doctors are still working on the theory that it's um, overtaxing the immune system by like doing drugs and having sex and partying all night long that's causing it. They don't know it's a, a disease or they think it's a disease brought on by lifestyle uh, and um, brought on by lifestyle is a phrase that will come up constantly And um, this is also, 1982 is when the first uh, AIDS baby is born of an intravenous drug user. Two groups of people who have been affected by this disease are um, intravenous drug users particularly in um, the Bronx in New York and gay men. And these are two groups of people who have been historically extremely neglected by the medical community. Uh, AIDS at this point is called gay cancer. Uh, It was later changed to gay-related immune deficiency before eventually settling on AIDS.
4: Well that's better. (laughs) I'm I'm just happy they changed You're it. You're getting there. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of other people that have it
3: that yeah know, are not gay. Yeah, and um, part of part of the reason why they changed it was when you hold up a a two month old baby who is very clearly not doing great, and you say this baby has gay cancer, it's pretty hard to convince people that this baby is gay. <laughs> right. um, yeah, that was a yeah. joke. That <laughs> was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying so hard. This is so depressing. <laughs> it's this it's is okay. So depressing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, mm. it because it was thought to be relegated to the gay community, no one really cared about it. Because it was like it's a very small subset of the population that wasn't really well liked to begin with. And it was like the the highfalutin, um, flamboyant people who were out all night partying who like er, they really pissed off um, the moral majority of the religious right in the United States. Because they were almost the boogeymen to uh, the alt-right religious right at the time. Yeah.
1: Well, it was like you said, right? Like the lifestyle piece. You know, like it. it they brought it upon themselves. They acted this way. And because they acted this way, this is the consequences. It's the, it's the classic sort of right-wing argument for why you shouldn't help homeless people. You know? It's the same sort of thing. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. It's horrible, but it makes sense.
3: If you ever want to just get so angry you cry... Uh, Look up what um, Jerry Falwell was saying. Uh, Jerry Falwell was one of the most influential uh, pastors in the U.S. at the time. Look up what he was saying about uh, gay people and AIDS. And um... That guy's a monster, by the way.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah he was, Wasn't he later convicted of something? You all know I'm who this man sure. is.
0: I don't know who this man is.
4: Oh, I... it's Falwell Jr. Actually, there's a really great podcast out right now uh, that I've been listening to about his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., it's really interesting it's about how so the Falwells ended up creating this like super kind of like the Christian version of BYU Brigham Young University which Mm. which is you know the Mormon like super super religious university so they created something similar but this family is if you're talking about AIDS like Falwell Jr. probably has AIDS there is a lot of swinging (laughs) orgies drugs whatever else it's quite interesting it's it's called in god we lust it's by Wondery. um check it out if it's you're Fantastic into, you
0: know,
4: yeah, if, wow. if, this, if the things that his father is saying piss you the fuck off then just listen oh, to that and laugh at him yeah there's
2: also another yeah. podcast uh called i know we're, we're just recommending a bunch of podcasts now other than our yeah. own yeah but um behind the bastards they covered him
1: this is mm-hmm. other podcast that I love. It's called the Digital Dust Podcast. <laughs> oh, our- really? I've <laughs>
0: never heard of it. So great.
2: Yeah.
4: Back to the story.
0: So wait, who is this man? Sorry, I'm kind of confused. Tele- He's a pastor. Classic
4: televangelist. Oh, pastor.
0: televangelist.
3: Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Like okay. the
3: OG um, person who was. Is- so horrific that you watch him because you're hating him like mm, if yeah, you ever... some people weren't
4: that's yeah, the issue to...
3: yeah um for all the other young gay kids out there if you ever watched like the 700 club on youtube because you're like oh i want to hate watch it and see what they're saying about us um he's the person who created that new genre of hate crime almost in the world okay
0: oh, bad, guy.
3: <laughs> bad guy bad <laughs> guy right, so. yeah bad guy all around yeah. A fun, fun, great guy, Uh, gay men are getting it, Um, children of intravenous drug users are getting it, um, particularly if the mother is an intravenous drug user. Um, At this point, they don't know it can be spread to heterosexuals, so they're, like, not warning intravenous drug users at all, not warning sex workers at all. And um, the education programs to the gay community were largely limited to stop. Stop whatever you're doing, just stop having sex altogether don't do it anymore um which is insane and didn't work <laughs> surprise surprise really? it's not just caused by <laughs> sex <laughs> Honestly. Yeah.
1: Oh,
3: hold on and the reason it didn't work out is like how abstinence only sex education doesn't work out yeah. like yeah if you just pe- tell people no don't do it or you're, you're gonna get sick and die um they don't know, have any strategies to have safe sex
1: yeah
3: like if you if you just like ban the mention of like, anatomy in school, kids aren't gonna know what they're gonna do. Abstinence-only sex education doesn't work. (laughs) And abstinence-only AIDS prevention also didn't work, but also it didn't work for another reason. And that's because we had approximately 2,000 years of straight people and straight establishments telling gay people that they absolutely should not have sex or they'll die and go to hell. And so when they got told this rhetoric again, after about 30 years of a hard-fought fight for basic rights and the basic right to exist and not be legally punished for having sex, um, a lot of gay men's knee-jerk reaction was to say, no, fuck you. Right. This is just another straight ploy to get us to stop existing. What are you talking about? We're not going to stop having sex.
4: Was there anything like in the medical community or in the community in general that was like, use condoms? Like, I, I know, like, it's the 80s, we obviously have condoms, but, like, I, maybe they didn't make that connection yet.
3: They were urging people to have safe sex, but there wasn't enough money for public education. Until, like, 1987, the budget for AIDS um, research was measured in the millions, which um, sounds pretty cool now until you consider, like, what the defense budget was for the United States.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, also, we're talking about, like, Reagan-era U.S. politics, uh... right? So, like, this is... <laughs> They're not going to really care enough to, to put a lot of detail and, and effort into fighting, into fighting AIDS at yeah. that point.
3: President Ronald Reagan's whole thing was to cut big government spending and um, try and have um, smaller local groups pick uh, up the slack that was dropped by um, slashing government spending. Um, so um, the gay community actually did this. <laughs> they actually like picked up the slack. They started... Um, doing volunteer hospice care they started like doing volunteer efforts to educate people but um because they weren't supported on a federal level like it was city by city state by state completely um handicapped like it was hamstrung from the very beginning because of the lack of federal support so like the gay community did everything right like um uh, aside from refusing to not have sex and there was reasoning behind that but uh
0: And, I mean, when they don't have, like, the science backing, right, when you don't get the research, then it's hard to do any sort of education because you have no concrete proof, right?
3: At this point, uh, most of the people who were showing symptoms uh, weren't dead yet.
1: Right. Um, So, uh, like, like another reason for it not to be that big of a deal.
3: Yeah. Um, They didn't know it could kill people 100% of the time. Later, doctors would find out AIDS had an incubation period of, of about five years. Wow. Wow. That's insane.
1: Five years of being that sick and fighting off all those things and then eventually dying.
3: Oh, no, that's not five years of being sick. That's five years of shedding the virus while while appearing to be perfectly healthy.
4: Oh, yeah. That's insane. You're asymptomatic for five
3: years. Wow.
0: And it's just too late. Yeah. Like, you think about the incubation period for COVID is 14 days and we already have a problem with that. Like, imagine if it's five years.
3: Five years where you don't know you're sick, you don't know you have it, so uh, when the first couple hundred cases started popping off, doctors were like, "Hey, um, this could be a giant problem, and no one was listening to them until it started to be hundreds of thousands of people because that five-year waiting period was coming up for more and more people as it went along. So these are just the front runners in this insane race to the death in 1983, um, the CDC recommended that gay people. Uh, high-risk groups do not donate blood products because hemophiliacs are starting to get sick. Uh, Hemophiliacs are people have a disease, and um, if you have the disease, your clotting agents don't work, so you can bleed to death from any number of cuts. It's a very serious disease. But in the 70s, they um, synthesized a factor 8 that would stop the clotting, and it was made from blood products. So um, hemophiliacs would take this product from blood products and um, inject it, and they'd be able to live normal, healthy lives. But, but... No one was screening for AIDS. And, um.
4: Yeah, there was like no. You couldn't test for it.
3: There was no test that existed. Yeah. And they didn't even know it could be spread through blood. Like, um. Oh my God. One of the first, like, clinics where they tried to, like, do blood swabs to figure out if all these people were sick of the same disease, like, doctors weren't even wearing gloves to take blood from AIDS patients. And, like, run that through your mind a couple times.
4: AIDS or no AIDS. You should be wearing, like, you could get a lot of different things. (laughs) Oh my lord.
3: They were also at high risk for hepatitis B. And like, oh
1: my god. For sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Katie made a face, an extremely good face, when I said that they weren't screening out blood donors. And um, that's because the U.S. is absolutely buck wild. Um, (laughs) You can sell your blood in the United States. For all our international listeners, you can sell your blood for 50 bucks a pop. You can't do that in Canada. Well, or, like, anywhere else with nationalized healthcare. Yes.
4: You do that with your sperm and
3: stuff, too, right? Yeah, I don't know um, if you can do that in Canada, but. No, I tried to look up selling my eggs in undergrad, and, um, you can't do it in Canada. It's illegal.
4: Whoa. To sell them, really? you have
3: to donate them.
1: Black market shit.
3: <laughs> yeah, actually, though.
1: That's capitalism for you. It works when you don't want it to, and it doesn't work when you do want it to.
3: A lot of people are getting AIDS from U.S. blood products because... Because you can sell it, it's a huge industry in the U.S., so, like, most of the world gets blood products from the United States or did at the time. Mm. Oh so my gosh.
4: Um, Another reason why you can't go around calling it gay cancer if your grandma
0: has it. <laughs> <laughs> like... Grandma has gay cancer. Uh-oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now it's a problem. All she did was buy blood. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs>
3: The whole situation's messed up. <laughs> Oh, and if you want to get real angry, here's the first fun part. The blood banking like industry, for years, prevented any efforts to like prove that you could catch AIDS from blood products because they didn't want that new level of regulation on their, their products. Oh my god. So, um, right, great.
4: Because they have the entire world at their fingertips buying yeah. their products. So. Yes. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, for literal years, the spread of AIDS was not only not hindered, but actively helped by the United States blood banking industry as they shipped infected blood to the rest of the world. And um, they got away with it for a couple of years until a woman caught gay cancer. Uh, A grandmother caught gay cancer. Grandma got gay cancer! Grandma Grandma got gay cancer! Grandma! No! No. A grandmother from San Francisco named Frances. Uh, She had a hip replacement and got three units of blood. Two of them were infected with AIDS. Oh and no. she Whoa. Whoa, those wait, numbers are that, real bad too I was supposed to say
0: what does that mean for the stats of like the blood they were selling
1: oh. yeah, yeah two thirds like 66% yeah, um,
3: well they had collected it locally from a very high risk group so like of course yeah well. that the chances were way higher but the blood banks were like you have a one in a million shot this woman got two one in a million shots like so, oh. But again, if
4: you have all these people who are extremely underprivileged or are facing poverty yeah. or whatever else, and you can make 50 bucks that's the for thing. selling something that you can give away for free, yeah. then why yeah. wouldn't you do it? Again, we're putting these people in that situation to begin with. Yeah.
2: It's such a different environment here, too, because like in Canada, you just get a sticker.
4: They're like, thank you, get you Oreos. for... get Oh, that's okay. true. You get an
2: Oreo. And they, they <laughs> tell yeah, you, you get they're like, bucks. you saved three lives today. All and right. then they... Mm. They go away with their needle, but, like, yeah, when you put a price tag on it, yep. it completely changes yep. everything that happens within the system.
3: Completely Greed takes over. Oh, and, like, it's it. not the people who are donating the blood's fault. Like, either no. they no. were getting much-needed money or were doing a very good thing. Donate and they didn't know.
2: They didn't yeah, know. no yep. way
3: of knowing. Like, the research to prove this was actively blocked. Yeah. 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 and who yeah. who
2: would give their blood being like, "Oh, I know this is what's gonna happen to yeah. grandma like no they're not no. they're not purposely donating their blood because of this like yeah. no and the no,
3: no. uh, the grandmother's daughter uh, watched her mother die in the hospital oh. in um horrific pain F- through uh, several opportunist affections she never left the hospital again after her hip surgery oh and my um gosh. the daughter was a young woman and uh, closely connected to the gay community and she's like okay, my mother has AIDS. How did my heterosexual 60-year-old monogamous mother get AIDS? And it was her fighting to, like, find out what had killed her mother that finally, like, brought down the blood industry iron curtain and, like, sh- exposed it. That and, like... would be a
1: good movie. Oh,
3: it like, would it's be a tragedy. A
1: I don't want to take away from the tragedy of this moment and the story that we're talking yeah. about, but, like...
4: I've, even as even as a podcast like i'm like yeah. i had no idea this history was here and that it's it's so infuriating infuri- infuriating <laughs> just like the word <laughs>
1: but, just like the just word. like the
4: word is infuriating but interesting at the same time yeah. and it's no i feel like no one knows about it yeah yeah right i had yeah. no idea about
1: this
4: two
0: points of information one what year did grandma frances die two what year did um, aids become the term that we used if
3: you don't know these, um, it's fine. Yes. I have the Wikipedia pulled up because <laughs> I took a lot of notes, but that's not quite enough. Heck um yet. AIDS became the term in, um, I believe it was 1982. Oh, okay. Um, it replaced um, the term gay-related immune disorder. Okay. And uh, grandma died in, uh, she got infected in 1984, died in 1985. Okay. Thank you. Just wanted to plot myself Her where name we was- are. Uh, Her name was Frances Bordet, I believe. Her case is Bananas Famous. If you look at it, you'll find, like, a lot of her daughter testifying before Congress being, like, my mother died and she didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the story of AIDS is people being, like, my loved one died when they didn't have to.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
3: So so anyway, uh, things are popping off. The gay community is well aware that something is killing them. Ronald Reagan... The president of the United States will not say the word AIDS until 1987. Uh, Seven years after the first case was reported and um, (sighs) six years after the death count reached triple digits. It's still the United States government's number one health priority. Um, There's very heavy air quotes around that because um, they say that over and over and over again in memos, but they do not do anything. They don't even fund the research. Um, right. One lab uh, had to fight for like two years to get fifteen hundred dollars to get proper safety equipment. Fifteen hundred dollars? Fifteen hundred. That's $1, like
0: that's pennies to a government. If you yeah, if you didn't yes. know that, that's and literal that's pennies.
3: Pennies to a reasonably funded hospital,
0: like especially in the U.S. Like a yeah. private a hospital, a
3: private university, even a public
0: university. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm. AIDS at this point is also popping off in Canada. There's one, like, patient zero for Canada. He's a flight attendant. I'm not going to say his name because, um, A, it's French, and B, like, this dude got a lot of flack in the later part of his life. when, yeah. uh, uh. Um, Because he brought it to Canada, or...? Yeah. Um, so he was uh, a high-flying jet set in person. He, um, he spent a lot of time in New York and San Francisco, and he lived a hard, hard, fast life. Like, he did a lot of drugs. He had a lot of sex. Uh, Homie was hot, though, so, like... The homie was just working his assets. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He he knew he was sick. Um, He had, like, the purple lesions, the Kaposi sarcoma. Mm. I've said Mm. it differently every time, and one of these days I'll get it right. (laughs) 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 But he knew he was sick, and the doctors were like, "Uh, you got to stop having sex, my dude. Like, you're spreading it to people, and he's like, absolutely refused to. He spread AIDS to, like, literally hundreds of people because... A, he he thought, like, no one, not everyone dies from this, and B, it was, he was going through a lot. <laughs> yeah, he sure. was just misunderstood. So anyway, yeah. He, not a great dude morally, but I'm still not going to um, put him on blast 20 years after he died of AIDS in a hospital in Quebec.
1: Mm.
3: Um, can, I,
4: can I ask a question kind of while we're on the topic of, like, geography?
3: Yeah. I'm
4: just wondering... So, patient zero in the states is nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. He- was there was the states one of like the earlier places to get it, or because I know obviously it, it currently is still very much an issue in places like the African continent. Do we know like where it like started or where it came from, or at least came to the
3: states from uh, from that original guy? Yes, where researchers are pretty confident it started in sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa, mm. and. Um, it used to be a French colony, and that's important because that's the Haiti connection. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, a lot of people know today that Haiti was one of the countries hit hardest by AIDS. Like, it got into the general population and, like, absolutely devastated the entire country. Wow. Um, for a while, the list of high-risk groups was gay men, intravenous drug, drug users, and Haitians. Like, okay. third on that list. Uh, <laughs> that, sh- that would not fly today. No, by a no. Shot.
0: You are all a high-risk group. A Duel. country. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yes. Um, until you think about, um, like, early COVID, where the high-risk groups were people traveling from Asia to Canada. Mm. And like, mm. yep. But yes, because administrators from Haiti were sent, um, as administrators, um, Zaire was coming out of French colonialism, so they didn't have uh, the infrastructure in place uh, to really... Uh, run itself as a country so Haiti sent over administrators trained administrators to kind of get it up and running and then these administrators brought AIDS back to Haiti as a uh, just by accident like all of this is by accident and then in 1976 uh, the US had the bicentennial celebration uh, in New York City yes and um, that was like the first super spreader event of AIDS
0: wow yeah Oh, my God, that's Mm. wild. Wait, follow-up question. Um, Do they know, like, where it came from, a.k.a., like, was it someone, you know, how people are like, COVID's from a bat? Do we Mm -hmm. know if it's, like, from a specific animal or, like, that's what we know, it's coming from sub-Saharan Africa?
3: I believe the apocryphal story I heard was it can be found in semian blood. The prevailing theory that I heard, like, five years ago was... um, Someone cut their arm and then uh, chimpanzee blood was uh, introduced to the cut, and that was like.
4: It's uh, bushmeat, is what I heard. It was, yeah. yeah, it was like one of the number one ways that that was introduced to humans was, was bushmeat.
3: Okay. So like,
4: chimpanzees. Okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah. Yeah, 1984 happens. Um, the death toll is reaching the hundreds of thousands. You'll never guess who died of AIDS. <laughs> uh, it's a long, list of famous people, but uh, uh, Foucault, Michel Foucault, my arch-nemesis. Oh. Foucault, oh. Wow. whoa, yep. yeah. my
0: friend, my dear, dear. friend. If you had asked me what year I thought Foucault died, I would have said like 1752. So cheers,
4: bro. <laughs> no, he was, he was a contempt, like yeah. very much contemporary postmodern theorist. Yeah, I don't know. know who
0: Foucault is. Okay, I was introduced to him last semester, and I was like, mm. I take it he was not a gay man. He was. He was. he was. he was. Okay. Awesome. I thought he we is, were surprised that he died of this. He
1: is I mean, very attractive. You know.
3: I was surprised he died in 1984.
1: I just picked up a photo. He's very
3: attractive. I know. Right? Okay. I told you. Um, I. Fine. Oh, I'm looking at the video. Now I need to up see too. Up
4: there was like Oscar Wilde. He was bald. Was like, yeah. he, he was bald, like, but like he
1: rocked No, yeah, him. no. He, like, he's like on oh the of the man. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. This looks
0: like every prof I've ever had. What are you guys on?
4: <laughs> no, but like the glasses? I don't know. No. I don't Eight.
1: Yeah, so let's eight let's, uh, back on track. <laughs> so sorry,
4: Kestra. You knew you, you were getting into when you brought up Foucault. Okay? I mean, like, yes, yeesh. I,
3: I did. I did not know you would debate his hotness. We debated this
0: last
1: week, like Sigmund
0: (laughs) Freud. If there's
1: one thing this podcast does is debate the hotness of historical figures.
0: Guys, would you guys listen to an episode in which we just rated historical figures' hotness on a scale of (laughs) one to ten, like a tier list, like a tier list, like a tier list? (laughs) Yeah.
3: So it's 1984 and um, 1985, and AIDS is raging through the U.S. and um, there's still no public health efforts to really educate people about the dangers of AIDS. Right, That's like insane.
4: it's just kind of turn a blind eye.
3: Not just like not teaching it in schools, like health clinics don't have posters about it. Gay bars, gay bathhouses. Um, no. bathhouses. Yeah.
4: yeah, that was a big, big it's part Very yeah. Greek. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um,
3: yeah, like there was this whole industry, and there probably is in big cities. Again, I am from a very ty- tiny island. <laughs> we had like five whole gay people. Um, <laughs> there was this whole industry of bathhouses where gay men would explicitly go to have sex and they oh, were like whoa
0: i thought they were actually bathing okay no <laughs> wow, sorry guys i thought they were bathing <laughs> me no, too because it was
4: because it wasn't like there wasn't many other places men could go like even hotels and stuff yeah. so no it's it, true it was an interesting kind of community that kind of came
3: out of that yeah yeah um, wow a lot of like the kink community came out of that mm-hmm. like a Oh. at the bathhouses thing. Anyway, okay. um, there had been several public health ordinances that bathhouses had to display, like posters being like, AIDS will kill you. You can catch AIDS from unprotected sex. We know you're having unprotected sex. But all these posters were, as a policy, put in the back corners of dark rooms where no one could see them.
0: And is and that. So, like, was that a choice
3: on the bathhouses?
0: Or on the, the bathhouses public? made
3: that choice. Okay, right. Because they wanted the to stay in business. The made that. Yes. Capitalism. Um, they were holding in huge amounts of money. Like, you're not going to close down a bar yeah. during a pandemic unless you're forced to. You're not going to close down yeah. a bathhouse during the STI pandemic. It
1: is really interesting anyway. how much capitalism and, like, economic history plays into this whole story. Like, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is this is what's going to radicalize a whole generation, this podcast. Yes. I hope so. <laughs> Again, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Break the chain.
0: You <laughs> did so say that I'm in sure. the last podcast.
3: <laughs>
4: Digital dust, you have
1: nothing to lose <laughs> but your chain. Let's do it, but yeah. I was
3: going to say it in every episode I made, I'm just going to say it. Anyway, um, so a lot of gay men assumed that because there wasn't efforts to close the bathhouses um, made by the public government, that they were safe. Like, that basic level of trust in the government. Mm. Right. We trust in Ontario currently that um, when the uh, provincial government says, hey, you can go back to, like, bars and stuff, We're going to be cautious, but we're going to assume that it's safe enough to do so. Mm -hmm. Like, That's just how it be. So because there was no closure of the bathhouses, people were still going in droves because they assumed it was safe, and it was not safe. It was very much not safe. Hundreds of thousands of people were getting infected via the bathhouses. Think about how quickly the bars and stuff shut down in Canada Mm -hmm. once we realized what a public danger it was. And then compare that to... Five years in, still not closing the main venue of unprotected sex. And there was a bunch of arguments about this. Um, the bathhouses said, um, well, if we close down our businesses, gay men are just going to have like sex in the bushes outside. Which A, relegates gay men to like, the level of, I don't know, weirdly horny teenagers instead of like adults who know mm-hmm. what they're doing. That's incredibly insulting to say, they're just going to have sex wherever. Anyway, or they were like, You have no proof that people are having unsafe sex in our establishments, despite the fact that there were multiple um, undercover operations that had video with the faces blurred out of people having unprotected sex in these establishments. Whoa. That sounds like a, a, a violation of, of privacy. because yeah,
4: well, yes, <laughs> they, they probably weren't like, pro- be, like, a lot of places you can be like, Here, here's a condom. Yeah. It's for free, or it's well, 25 so cents yeah. in the little. Question about machine. condoms
0: at this point in time. So, I know they're not, like, free. I know that that's what come Like, the AIDS movement is to get free condoms places. But they are available if you pay. Yes. But they're hella yes. expensive, so fair.
3: Okay, fine. Yes. Condoms exist. They're available. Okay. Um, there's a lot of stigma attached to buying them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, uh, this was the era when women would lie about having heavy periods to get birth control. Like. Right, right. Right. But katie you're right coming out of aids is this massive push to have condoms freely available to everyone um if you've ever gone into an undergrad dorm like the first week of school they're they are throwing condoms at you like they're fucking candy they're like don't get pregnant don't like bowls
0: it's like punch bowls and you're like yeah literally
1: Choose your favorite
2: color (laughs) here you
4: go (laughs) yeah they're like (laughs) color (laughs) <laughs> we're like oh, what do you want you want flavored you oh, want glow God. In the dark <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. we got it yeah. Yeah.
1: even then though like like, i know ras who would often be like these are the cheap condoms you should go and buy something oh they are better. they are like this is you
0: look
4: at them and you're so like so you can mm. at least enjoy condoms sex yeah Because yeah. yeah i think a lot of people don't yeah. <laughs> because <Yeah>. of
3: that <laughs> yeah no um if you ever stepped into a university health Clinic, you will get a condom. Yep. It doesn't matter if you break your leg; you will get a condom tucked <laughs> into that cast.
4: Yeah. It's okay; you can use it to keep your cast dry in the shower. Oh god!
3: <laughs> oh. Ooh,
4: that
0: is wow. the greatest thing you've ever said. Yeah.
4: Okay, quick, quick uh, little little sidetrack here. Oh, so, uh, growing up in a very small town in Ontario. We, of course, in our high school had sex ed and it was a part of gym class. However, most people assume that as part of high school sex ed, they pull out the bananas and they take the condom and they show you how to put it on the penis, whatever else, and the penis is the banana. No, 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 not at Gravenhurst High School. We didn't, we got a demonstration of like a slideshow of how to do it, but instead of learning how to do it, we were then told to only put it on your arm so take the condom out and put it on your arm and roll it up as far as you can so if a man ever says that he's too big to wear a condom you can do that and he'll say like oh yeah no i'm not as big as that that's literally like we were never wow. when it came time for me to actually put a condom on a real penis i was just like i don't really sorry but <laughs> i don't really know what i'm doing because what i wasn't like, actually taught i was just, told so to just put like it on roll it out arm. on your
2: arm you're like okay we like, <laughs> go, go I guess. You know,
4: 2013, like, this oh, was not long ago. Oh. So. I
0: expected it to be worse. I expected you to be like, nah, they didn't even talk about condoms. oh uh, girly, what happened there? They went, like, yeah. they were like, let's go above and beyond.
4: Okay. Right? <laughs> it's just like, that's great, but, like, how do I actually do it? Like,
1: Yeah. Anyway, wow. so
4: that's yeah. my little, yeah. It was
1: interesting. I mean, you know? Yeah. Wow.
4: Yeah. I didn't, yeah, we didn't get time. anything. Time.
1: Our high school never told us anything. Like, they literally, they never did any of the, the condom on the banana anything like that. Huh.
4: Well, was it, was it a public, school yeah, public school or Catholic or public school?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Wow. Uh, so okay. yeah, this whole push to get condoms to people comes out of uh, public health efforts mm. in the 80s from AIDS, led by gay men who are desperately, desperately trying to fix anything that could do happen. So thank them for that uh, freshman week condom rain. <laughs>
4: Condom, Brain. Rain. Condom rain. Condom rain. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Okay. Sorry, podcast just, is over. Prince would appreciate that. Prince would appreciate
3: that. In my <laughs> would he? Maybe he would. Oh. Yeah, he would. Oh yeah. Oh. Also, um, weird, not fun side story. Y'all know mm. Anthony Fauci? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Doctor Fauci.
3: Doctor Fauci. <laughs> He was like the head of the of some department in the u.s that i don't have written down right now so we're just going to say he was like an important doctor in the u.s government in the 80s he's very old he is very old and, uh-oh. where is this going uh-oh um he kind of he kind of fucked up because he read a report on aids t- transmissions through families and um he skimmed it because he's a very busy man <laughs> um, he still is an extremely busy man so he skimmed it and he came to the conclusion through reading it that AIDS could be spread through casual contact, meaning uh, skin-to-skin Gosh. touching, um, because there's no proof it could. It was, like, 1983. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't know what was right, going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. So he released a public health statement saying "You could cap- there is a chance that AIDS could be spread through Oh, my God, contact. yes.
2: Sorry, I'm, I don't want to cut you off, but I do remember that Princess Diana, like, she shook yeah. someone's hand yeah. that had AIDS, and that was a really big AIDS. deal.
1: Right, right, Yeah.
3: So he, Dr. Fauci doesn't like start this rumor, but he gives it a lot of weight in the medical yeah. community.
1: A lot of credibility.
3: Mm-hmm. And god. Like, he was acting on the science at the time, but he's not entirely blameless in what happens to AIDS people after this, and what happens to AIDS patients is a lot of stigma. Sure. Like First of all, because it's intrinsically tied to gay men, um, a lot of the early agitators for like research into this, and like reporters who were trying to report on this, kind of got laughed out of the room um there's audio that played on behind the bastards because i also love that podcast robin of a reporter like heckling president reagan's aide being like so what are you guys doing about aids what are you what are you doing about aids it's an epidemic it's killing people and the aide just shoots back why do you care are you gay and everyone in the mm-hmm. room laughs at him and like right uh you can find this audio it's very very <laughs> infuriating and um that's kind of typical response, like everyone who treated uh, AIDS patients, um, who like helped them in hospice care, was assumed to be connected to the gay community somehow. And that's a huge amount of stigma in 1980s uh, United States. A kid with hemophilia got AIDS in 1984 and uh, the school district found out and he was summarily expelled because um, parents were afraid of their children catching AIDS. And there's no
2: online school back then, guys. Like, this is a big deal to be kicked out.
4: Also, that's on your record, even. So, like, how do you then get to another school if it just says you've been expelled? Like, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He had um, full-blown AIDS virus. He was not long for this world, unfortunately. Oh, jeez.
4: Yeah.
3: But a lot of the gay community's activism in this time was was more focused on, like, actually helping people. Sure. And there was a hospital ward in San Francisco, Ward 86, it's the most famous one, where it was like, entirely devoted to AIDS patients, and it was entirely centered around patient, um, patient-driven patient medical care. So like there was no visiting hours. You could just go in whenever you wanted because visiting hours are kind of mostly designed to help the hospital run efficiently. Mm-hmm. They're designed so that the nurses can spread their time more evenly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, this ward had no set visiting hours. You could go in whenever you want. It wasn't limited to next of kin for one very obvious reason, that... Gay marriage wasn't legal, so uh, your partner was not legally entitled to be like with you when you died, or to have control over your burial oh rights. So um, patients set their visitor list. So um, if they didn't just, dis- uh, they didn't talk to their family, the family wasn't allowed to visit, but their lovers mm-hmm. were, and the staff wasn't almost entirely gay men and lesbians who just mainly just held people's hands as they died,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and um, it was this beautiful little chunk of the world where hospice care was entirely designed towards making your last days as good as possible. So yeah, um, Google Ward 86 if you want to have a little dot of hope. And there's also stuff like um, gay housing rights, because if your landlord found out you were infected with AIDS, there was no legal repercussions to them evicting you and putting you out on the streets. Some hospitals were afraid of treating the AIDS patients because if you got known as an AIDS hospital, wealthy patients might not come to you, the best interns might not apply to work there. Like, it was a huge stigma. There was so much (coughs) stigma surrounding AIDS and getting AIDS because of that intrinsic connection to gay people. And it was only after the infection was proven to spread to heterosexuals through sex that the government started, like, sitting up and listening because it spread to the general population, of which somehow gay people were not a part of. Somehow gay people and intravenous drug users are special, segregated parts of the population that have no contact with the rest of them.
1: This is all just reminding me of uh, something. Like, uh, Kestra, we've talked about this in, in Laurel's class uh, in, in the course that we took. Uh, but uh, probably my favorite theorist out there, and I've only learned about him recently, but he's really, really cool. It just, it, it's surprising how much he comes up But this idea of necropolitics. I think I've mentioned it on here before.
3: Yes, I still don't understand what it is. So okay, so it.
1: necropolitics is like the philosophy and politics of choosing who lives and who dies. Essentially, that, that is like the, the basis right. of it. It's It's... Uh, a government institution's ability to dictate what sector the population uh, lives and, and, and which dies. A, a perfect example of this with COVID is deciding which groups are at risk enough to be in the first wave of, of vaccines. That's necropolitics. Right. Like you're, You are you are deciding who is most important in your society or most at risk or whatever. And so this is just I think this is just a really in, interesting example of that where uh, up until a, a, a section of the population that the government like, I don't know, cares about more i suppose uh uh, uh is getting aids uh, up until that moment they don't care that much because uh, the, the people who who are getting this virus um are uh stigmatized uh but yeah so so you know so like uh they start caring when other people are getting it and then that's when when uh, uh they start doing stuff about it because in all of your stories kestra the thing that i keep thinking in, in my mind is like okay you keep saying this is happening or like governments keep saying this is happening uh keep saying it's out there but they're not doing anything about it like in all these stories it's just like all right we're, we're we're making people aware but we're not gonna actually act on this to make them better we're not gonna test we're not gonna find a cure we're not gonna find anything to to help prevent it all that sort of stuff isn't happening because it's it's not happening to a a, a part of the population uh that the government sees as, as a priority you know and and like it's also there's this really bizarre and difficult cyclical process <laughs> um where like the people who are getting it are people whom uh, the government and the wider public uh, have stigmatized and also in addition to that it's like it's a weird fulfillment of a false prophecy but it's like like when you're talking about these evangelical Christians or whatever in in the 80s shedding out about this it's like this is the punishment this is this is what we've been talking about this is the reckoning that we've been that we've been spewing out that's gonna happen or whatever and so there's all this like really, weird uh, uh, sort of false truth that's going on and so the whole process becomes a bit of a cycle of like you know these people are getting it because of these reasons so it's not going to affect other people and so we don't need to do much about it because we don't like them because they do it for these reasons and these are the reasons why they got it and, and it just becomes a, a cycle in that way and the cycle only breaks when a part of the population that the wider public cares about more uh, uh, is getting it too anyway I just thought it was neat uh, so I wanted to share yeah. It. Yes.
4: unfortunately yeah, I think what I think and I hope this doesn't sound like conspiracy. I don't think it is a conspiracy. It's very much true, is that this, they, I think they wanted the system to work that way. Yeah. It was convenient that these people were dying. Yeah. It was convenient that these people were being targeted. It's the same reason why the 13th Amendment was kind of instated. And then again, in the same time in the 1980s, of course, we have things like, you know, crack yeah. in the boroughs and yeah. all these different things. It was convenient because, hey, look, now we can put all these um, these people of color in jail, and basically reinstitute slavery all over again yeah. with the prison industrial complex and all these other things and so i think it's the same thing Is yeah unfortunately a lot of people were dying right and i think if they if they if they didn't want it to happen they would have made sure uh, with COVID they didn't want it to happen they sure made sure that it wouldn't happen and yeah. um unfortunately with i think with aids it was a lot of just this is convenient this is what we want to happen yeah. um yeah. until again it starts to affect the um, the po- the population that matters in massive air quotes there. Um, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. <clears throat> it's really sad.
3: It's rare, but occasionally you do get people saying the quiet part out loud where they will directly out loud say something awful, awful, like this is God's punishment or like mm-hmm. they deserve this. And clearly that's not true. Like yeah. no more than like The cases of hemophilia deserved to die because of a random lottery of inflected blood, like... Yeah. Like, you can find a lot of terrible, terrible people being, like, saying the quiet part out loud, and it's just... You want to time travel back 40 years and just kick a lot of old men in the dick.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't you always, though?
1: Honestly.
3: The main turning point of AIDS, and this is kind of where we'll close... Out, I think, um, is October twenty second, nineteen eighty five. Rock Hudson, a movie star, dies of AIDS. Oh, yeah. And um, he was white. He was un- unfortunately for this podcast very attractive. I <laughs> you know. I was gonna say.
1: <laughs> looking, his up, looking up his photo now.
3: <laughs> Rock Hudson. Yeah. Here we go. He, he's got kind of an Elvis look to him that I find. Yeah, well, the also name quite, also. You know? I, yeah,
1: I was about to say his name is hot. Like I'm sorry. Oh like, yeah, like, I forgot
0: how man, hot his he name is. Man is Elvis actually. He's
2: got a nice oh. jawline, everything. Oh, actually, everything. Yeah. So
3: Wait, he-
0: was he, he heterosexual?
3: T- he was not. Okay. I, I- he was, Go ahead. Um, he had a wife. They were married but divorced. Sure. But um, he had sex with men, which is how he contracted the oh. virus. And um, so, Rog Hudson was the first very famous person to say, I have AIDS, um, publicly. Like,
1: right.
3: He told newscasters about it. He had flown to Paris to try an experimental drug treatment, and that didn't work. And um, on his way back, like reporters crowded around his helicopter and like took pictures of all of him. And his picture of him on a stretcher with terminal AIDS is like kind of what kicked AIDS into the public mind. Uh, because before this, um, people were dying of AIDS. Public people were dying of AIDS. Uh, like for instance, Michel Foucault, and um, they would be put in the obituary as um, a long illness, a short illness, sudden illness, like, all the code words for um, embarrassing stuff that you don't want to have in the newspaper.
4: I think, too, in, like, the visual part of it as well, like, it was all very much behind the scenes and, like, actually seeing what it looks like, you know?
3: Yeah. Um, Especially with the skin cancer, like post-sarcoma, it's huge purple lesions, very visible, Mm -hmm. like, it's a very clear visual sign that someone has AIDS. So um, before this, you almost had to play like decoding in the obituaries to see who had died of AIDS. Um, but after this, Rob Hudson publicly announcing he has AIDS kind of forced the American public to acknowledge that it's not just poor people of color, intravenous drug users and their children and gay men who gets this. It's also people we care about. And right. It was the, the shift from not us to people I care about, that really brought AIDS to the forefront. And it kind of divided into the before and after of AIDS. And the before is these six, five, six years of AIDS activists just screaming at the top of their lungs for someone to pay attention and for someone to like do something for public health, for public safety, to help these men. And then after it's more research money is given, hospitals start treating AIDS more generously. Um, not more generously. They start accepting AIDS patients into different hospitals. Um, uh, mo- volunteer efforts to help AIDS patients really kicked off. Um, it was still a nightmare. It was still an absolute nightmare. Um, particularly um, funeral homes would deny AIDS patients burials because they didn't know if it could seep into the groundwater. So,
0: like, If you ever want to <sighs> just, like, like, I don't even know, like, cry, watch HBO's The Normal Heart. It's very white. But it's about it's based on a play, which is also about this, and they have like scenes about denying burial and stuff, and you're like, wow, I think I'm gonna curl up in a ball now and like never think of the human race the same. So,
3: yeah, Um, Larry Kramer, the man who wrote the Normal Heart play, was one of the founders of the Gay Men's Health Crisis, Mm -hmm. and he was one of the first people to scream the loudest and the longest Mm -hmm. for someone to listen, and and so that's kind of the story of the beginning of the AIDS epidemic as compared to COVID. How are y'all wow. feeling <laughs> emotionally?
4: Sad. Yeah. But I also, I feel a little bit hopeful because I do know a little bit of um, AIDS isn't cured. It's not. However, there are treatments, there are drugs where people with AIDS can live very long and healthful lives. However, I also know that there are many other places around the globe where this is not the case because there is not proper access to um contraception and ways to protect yourself Mm -hmm. and testing and infrastructure and all these other things however i guess from like an american slash like global north perspective it did get better for the most part (laughs) for what i know yeah
0: Yeah.
4: it's no longer a death
0: sentence to get in it's no longer a death sentence yeah Yeah. the global north
3: yes um it's no longer you're gonna die in five years in horrible pain too. yeah like that's the thing about AIDS. It's it's not a good death, at all. Right. And watching your lover die of it, yeah. really like broke an entire generation of gay people. And we're coming out the other side of that, but it it's hard to exaggerate the loss this was for queer history. Yeah. yeah. A, an entire generation of people who had fought for gay rights, who had like marched on Stonewall, were dead. Yeah. And not only that, they were ignored by the people they had fought for years
0: yeah and I was thinking about this as we were talking because you think about how like um AIDS knowledge as we were talking about at the beginning is so low even within like modern queer communities and I think part of that is because not only were there like not many survivors obviously there were survivors of the AIDS epidemic I'm pretty sure and correct me if I'm wrong scientists or one of you but you can carry the disease and not be affected by the disease yes or no because that's what the normal heart man i'm pretty sure he could he carried it i could be wrong about that anyway people survived but one of the things that i think we didn't see in like other histories of violence because this is a history of violence is that there's no generational connection because like one generation of queer individuals are not necessarily connected to the next whereas with say the holocaust or the armenian genocide the survivors have children and their children are the people who carry that legacy but because and not to say that queer people can't have children they can definitely have children but we don't have the same connection right your children aren't necessarily queer that's not the same like blood feeling of being like you know my ancestors fought for this blah 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 and just that kind of like disconnect that we see is in part because of not only the lack of survivors, but that that break that you can see in any sort of non-lineage-based community. That makes right.
3: sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the queer <clears throat> history is kind of a history by choice or a community by mm-hmm. choice,
4: mm-hmm. and like yeah, it's chosen family.
3: Yeah. yeah. And um, a lot of young queer people kind of don't like to look at it because it's very very depressing. Yeah. And I know it's depressing. I know it's awful, but it's part of history Mm -hmm. and if you're ever thinking damn i should learn about the aids epidemic this is your this is your wake up call there's a lot of fantastic stuff out there about it and then you too can be an angry (laughs) radical.
0: nothing to lose but our chains nothing to lose but our chains
4: I'm really, I'm really, really grateful, Kestra, that you were able to talk to us about this because not only does it, it mean a lot to be educated about this, but it also, I hope that I can be a better ally because yeah. I think one of the things that happened in the 80s is there weren't enough allies also screaming for someone else to, to listen. And so mm-hmm. hopefully all of us who are listening today can... Be be there next time. I hope this never happens again, but there are always things happening yeah. to the gay community, to yeah. countless different communities where they need someone else to to hold their hand and scream with them. So thank you yeah. so thank much you. for sharing sure. us. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
3: Beautifully said, Liz. It really was. Yeah, There's it nothing was. you can do on this world but hold your hand and scream. <laughs> all yep. Yeah. All right. I think
0: that was a good place to end. I agree. Yeah. yeah
4: thank you kestra so
0: thank you so much kestra thank you. this is amazing
4: a for two-parter. this and for the
0: last episode i know yeah. wow coming in with a bang and maybe
4: maybe we'll have kestra back for uh, rating hot historical figures we'll see oh you know? yes
0: or oh, yes. about syphilis Our medical history Kestra's other passion or
4: syphilis <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: yeah another sexually
3: transmitted disease yeah History of sexually transmitted diseases is so cool, and no one else likes it but me. I am the only human being on Earth to love syphilis.
0: All right, well, on that <laughs> lovely note about syphilis, uh, we will see you on the flippity-flop. Woo! See you on the
1: flop
0: Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapewak, and Attawandaran peoples on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796, and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis peoples, and Inuit peoples, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and the waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingan, and Robin Marshall. Sound designed by Elizabeth Edwards, Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Matthias Miller.